You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our text for today comes from Matthew chapter 24, um, verse 34 through 25, 46. This is why you all, you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Help. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has put in charge of his household, to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master okay. finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed, and starts to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in their flasks for their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil, and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted in his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. 
For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But for the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, and here the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But you will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is God's word. Good morning, Church. Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, as, uh, as Chad said, we're, we're in a series of the parables. Um, and so I was initially looking at the parable of the talents in the middle of this section. Um, I just think there's some, some beautiful truths in there. Um, being, being able to share in the Master's joy. I feel like I'm, I'm doing that this morning, that, that God is, is joyful that, that we're able to come and worship Him together and uh, we get to, I get to share in that. Uh, and uh, yeah, share the scripture. So I was looking at the parable of the talents. Um, that God has entrusted a piece of his kingdom to us that, that we are entrusted with to increase, um, you know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right after it says, by grace you have been saved, and it says we are his workmanship, praying in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of, us, ahead of time for us to do. Also think of um, the movie Encanto, because probably not surprised that I'm going to make an Encanto reference. Um, my parents are, are visiting with us. They hadn't seen it, so obviously we had to watch it. Um, we watched it last night, and for those of you who, who don't know, um, it's a story of a family that has a miracle, um, a magical house, magical family, um, but the magic is, is dying, and Mirabelle has the, um, the mission to, to kind of save the magic, and she's kind of waffling. She doesn't want to, um, she doesn't want to repair her relationship with, with her sister 
leaves her sister's mad at her, and Bruno says to her, like, the, the miracle doesn't depend on her, it depends on you. You are key to this mission. I feel like Parallel Talents says that to us. We are, we are key to God's mission. We have to participate in that. And so it's, I was studying this, this passage, but then I saw that you know, it's, it's part of a, a longer section. Um, I wanted to, to look at the context. And if you, um, if you have a Bible open, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you have some back there. Definitely um, Especially if you have a red text Bible, you can really see the, the parable of talents here. It's a small section. Obviously, it's hard to see this, but red text starts all the way back here in chapter 24, verse 4. It goes all the way down to the end of chapter 25. Um, and so it's clearly part of a bigger speech. And so you know, I was looking at what, what Jesus is trying to get at in this in this speech. Um, a lot of times it's, it's referred to as the Olivet Discourse, because it's on the Mount of Olives. And it's, it's pretty heavily focused on the end times. The beginning of chapter 24, Jesus points at the temple and he says, this temple's going to be destroyed, there's not going to be one stone left on another. The disciples, um, they're worried about that. They, they approach Jesus. Part of Jesus is chapter 24, verse 3. They say, ask him two questions. Tell us, when will these things happen? What is the sign of the coming of the end of the age? And so Jesus talks about how there will be persecution, there will be tribulation. But I think he shifts focus a little bit and helps us shift focus so that we're not focused on what we should look for. To know that Jesus is coming back, right? We should be focused on the type of person that is ready for Jesus to come back. So verse 44 that, that Liz read, um, this is why you will also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So what does it look like for us to be ready? What does it look like for a kingdom-minded disciple to be ready? We're going to look at four attributes that, that define kingdom-ready disciples from these four sections. They're defined by expectation. They're ready for Jesus to come back at any time. You'll see that in faithful servant here, 45 through 51. The kingdom-minded disciple is prepared. They're defined by preparation. You see the wise virgins that are that are prepared to, to wait if the master, the bridegroom is delayed, if, if Jesus is delayed, the kingdom-minded disciple is, is prepared to live their lives faithfully. They're defined by participation, right? Not like the foolish servant that buries his treasure on the ground, right? They're like the, the faithful, the good servants that, that use what God has entrusted them, use what the master has entrusted them to increase the master's wealth, to, to grow the kingdom. And then finally, ultimately, kingdom and disciples are defined by compassion. Compassion for the least of these, the sheep care for the least of these, the goats do not. But that's my main idea for us. Kingdom-minded disciples are changed by the gospel and ready for Christ's return, displaying, displaying that, that preparation by a living passion that's filled with eternity. That, that first phrase there, kingdom-minded disciples are, are changed by the gospel. That's, that's key. Here we're going to talk a lot about applications and, and work that we should do. But I want us to never forget that the work comes after the gospel. We have been saved, and that's why we work. We don't work to earn favor with God. So if you don't, if you don't know Jesus, we're pleading that, that you meet him, and then, and then join us in, in God's mission. Jesus was God. He is God. 
and he became man. He was in heaven with God, not suffering at all. And he came down to this world to suffer. He lived his life faithfully with God, ever veering off his mission, ever falling short, ever sinning. All the way to the cross where he was killed for our sin. And then on the third day, he was raised again, defeating sin and death forever. And because we believe that truth, that's why we work. That's why we're ready for Christ's return. Those we have in the text, I'm going to pray for us and ask for God to, to be with us this morning. Father God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come and worship together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, that you are a God who communicates with us. We're not left pondering and trying to figure out what you want for us. You're clear in your scriptures of, of who you have called us to be. Pray that you help us to listen to you today. Pray for for me and my words that, that you would speak clearly through me, and uh, that you would just yeah come come be with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All right. So the first attribute that, that defines the kingdom, my disciple, is expectation. Kingdom readiness is is being consistently ready for Jesus to come back at any time. Verse forty six here, chapter twenty four. Blessed is that servant who the master finds doing his job when he comes. So we see two things about the servant. He does the right job, and he has he follows the right master. And on the flip side, the foolish servant does not do the right job, and does not follow the right master. So the servant has a, a clear task. Verse 45 it says, you know, to give them food at the proper time. He has a specific task that he's called to do. We have a specific task, too. We're called to love God with everything that we have, all our heart, soul, mind, strength. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we know that that those commands have, have no bounds for us, no limitations. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. There's no limitations. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then as, as Chad preached from the, the Good Samaritan a few weeks ago, we know that loving our neighbor has no bounds too. Right? The, the Samaritan who served his, his enemy, the Israelite, he was the example of, of being a neighbor. And that's who we are called to, to be, how we are called to, to love our neighbors. So we have a clear task. And we need to follow the right master. So the wise servant, he's following his master, he's, he's faithful. The foolish servant is not. He thinks that he says that the, the master is delayed, and so he kind of makes himself the master. He starts beating the fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The white servant is expectant, ready for the master to come back. The foolish servant is not. He's delayed. <clears throat> Both of them will see the consequences of their actions. That's right, so the white servant. Verse 47, the master will put him in charge of all his possessions because he is faithful. The foolish servant has consequences too. Verse 51, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place for the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we did the right job, follow the right master. We know that we will face consequences. So the application for us just need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to, to be ready now? Is your life lined up 
that you would be ready for Jesus to come back today. A lot of times it's, it's really easy for us to, to blame our circumstances and, and just put off faithfulness to God. We say, you know, once this thing works out, then, then I'll do what God's calling me to do. You see this, this me, this joke of um, being an adult is saying, things should slow down the next week or two, every week until you die. <laughs> We're in that, that trap of putting things off until things slow down the next week or two. Then we might end up never following God like he has called us to. On the flip side, is there, is there a sin that you're, you're delaying repenting of because you think it's not that big a deal? You think you're not, you're not owned by this sin, right? I can, I can register my friends and that's like my, uh, my coffee addiction. I'm not really addicted to the coffee. I can, I can wean myself off, it's fine. I don't, I don't think my coffee addiction is simple, but... Um, <laughs> Yes, the, the wise servant faithfully does his job and knows the master can come back at any time. And the wise servant knows that Jesus can come back at any time, so they're expected to. <clears throat> they also know that, that Jesus could be delayed, and so they prepare accordingly. It's a little bit of a, a weird shift here. The, uh, the foolish servant is the one who thinks the master's going to be delayed, and the, the foolish versions are the ones who are not prepared for the room to be delayed. They're expecting the room to come quickly. It goes back to verse 44. This is where you be ready because you don't know when the sun comes. He's coming in an hour you do not expect. And so we have to live our lives prepared for him to come back now. Or to be delayed. These virgins, the, the wise virgins, the foolish virgins, they have a lot in common. And they both have the lamps with them, they both have means for, for oil. They both get the same warning that the room is coming, but they both fall asleep. <coughs> the fools aren't prepared to put off getting what they need. <clears throat> the book of Matthew is, um, this gospel is written primarily for, for Jews. That was Matthew's main audience. And so when he uses terms like foolish and wise, the Jews are going to you know, put a lot of characteristics along with, with those terms. He actually has half the references to wisdom and foolishness in the entire New Testament. So they they know, you know, things like Proverbs 1 7, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. <clears throat> they know Psalm 1. How happy is the man who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked, <clears throat> stand in the path of the sinners. Or sit in company of mockers, but it's a light is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Planted by streams, like a tree planted by streams of water. Bears its fruit in season. They know that the, the wise person has those characteristics. <clears throat> it's kind of like, you know, if, we're, if you're familiar with Parks and Rec, and uh, I, I can tell you that I have a character, a co worker that's, that's kind of like Lizzie Nope. You put all these characteristics along with my co worker. He's like Michael Scott or something like that. But these, so these foolish versions, um, the Jews that, that hear this, they would probably, you know, assume characteristics like the 
the slacker, the slugger, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6, 10, 11 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little holding of the arms to rest, and the poverty will come on you like a robber, and need like a bandit. So they're putting, putting off what, what they need. They're not prepared. They don't have the oil that they need. They just think they have time. They're just putting off. So when they get the warning that the world or that the groom is, is coming, they don't have oil, the wise virgins tell them to go buy it, and they miss out on the bridegroom coming. <clears throat> and the consequences of that are severe. They come back and say, Master, Master, open up for us. In verse 12 in chapter 25, it says, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. They're completely rejected because they were not prepared. So what does it look like for us? To, to continually be faithful. What if, what if Jesus doesn't come back for 20 years, 50 years, 500 years? What does it look like for us to be faithful the rest of our lives? How do we live now in such a way that we can continue? A few years ago, Jessica and I were, were strongly considering moving to Utah with a team that was um, planning to, to do mission work and church planning there. We were in a tough season in our life. We had just Finished seminary. Titus had just been born. It was kind of a crazy emergency. Birth just had a lot of chronic pain. Um, we were planning on, on doing that. But looking back now, we know that if we had done that, we wouldn't have been prepared to serve for a long time. We would have burned out. <coughs> and so, taking a step back from that, being able to, to heal, to um, you know, get in a, in a better health situation, better financial health, better mental health, emotional, spiritual, that God bless us in allowing us to um, come into King's Cross, able to, to serve faithfully without burning out. Whereas if we had gone to Utah, we would have, um, that would very quick, I think. So is there something like that where we're you need to think long term. What does it look like to, to be faithful 20 years from now, 50 years from now? Maybe you're, you're in a tough spot and it's hard for you to even imagine one year from now. What does it look like for faithfulness? When, um, yeah, I'm going to read a, a little, some lyrics from from Frozen, Frozen 2. Um, there's a song called The Next Right Thing. Anna is, is uh, struggling with grief. She says, this grief has gravity, pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you're lost, hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. So if that's you right now, if you're in a tough spot and it's hard to, to focus, just go on and do the next right thing. Ask for, for God to reveal that to you. You know, they, they say that you overestimate what you can do in a short period of time, but you underestimate what you can do in a long period of time. So if we keep going, keep doing the next right thing, keep being faithful, then God can, can really use us. So the kingdom of Christians is ready for, for Jesus to come back anytime. They're ready to live their lives faithfully if he's delayed. And they participate in his mission with everything that they have.
to went into parable talents. A couple things to, to note. A talent is a is a weight measurement. It's you know an amount of, of money. Uh, we don't know exactly how much of it is. We don't, we don't say what kind of metal it is or anything, but it's a lot of money. And so these these servants that the master has entrusted these talents with, they're kind of like hedge fund managers, where the master has entrusted this large amount of money to them, and they're called to steward it well, all to to use it to to grow it to grow the wealth. You can kind of assume that the the master trusts the five talent servant more than the two talent servant, more than the one talent servant. He goes off and immediately the the five talent servant and the two talent servant they both go to work and double their allotment. But the one talent servant completely ignores his responsibility. The master has given him this mission. Steward my money. Your job is to take this money and put it to work. And he completely ignores his responsibility. So he faces trouble. The, the master comes back, he comes to several accounts. The five talent servant, the two talent servant, they both come to the master. They say, look, you've given me this much and I've doubled it. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are able over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. We see that spiritual principle here of being faithful in, in small things leads to, to more responsibility, to being faithful in, in many things. And on the flip side, the, the foolish servant here that buried in the ground wasn't faithful. This is a, a sobering parable for us that, that Jesus has entrusted a piece of his kingdom to us. Entrusted his, his treasure. And we are we're going to be evaluated on, on our faithfulness in that. What's it look like for us to apply this? Here's one way not to apply it. Don't try to figure out if you're a five-talent person or a two-talent person. That kind of comparison game doesn't, doesn't do us any good. Right? Just, just be faithful with what God has, has given. And here's some positive evaluations for us. Three things. Evaluate, communicate, participate. So first, evaluate. What has God entrusted you with? Our hope is that for all of us, you know, we've been entrusted with, with the gospel, entrusted with salvation. But what else? What, how has God gifted you to be able to serve him, to be able to grow this kingdom? Number two, communicate. Tell us. Me and Chad would love to have a conversation with you. If I feel like God has gifted me in this way. How can I help things cross? How can I help the kingdom? It'll be a fantastic conversation for us to Tell your brothers and sisters in this church to encourage you to, to be able to use your gifts. Communicate how God has entrusted you. And then ultimately to participate. Be part of God's mission. Don't take your talents and bury them in the ground. But use them. So, putting it all together, kingdom-minded disciples are ready. We're expecting. 
ready for Jesus to come back. We're ready to live faithfully. We're ready to participate in God's mission. And to do that by showing compassion. We see in this section that this section called the sheep and the goats from verse 31 to 46 that, that our integrity matters. Right? Who we are to the least of these, who we are in, in desperate situations, who we are in, when we think no one's watching, all those reveal who we really are. When I was in college, I worked at Jimmy John's, Ricky Fast Slips. I still like those sandwiches. Um, they used to have signs all over the restaurant, all over the walls, and uh, we'd be sweeping them up in and all of a sudden need a break because I don't like to sweep them up. And so I read these signs. One of them, I'm pretty sure it was Warren Buffett, I'm, I'm not sure, but it was Warren Buffett's Rules for Life. One of those rules was if I'm doing business with a person and they're not nice to a waiter, I stop doing business with them because that reveals who they are. If they don't, if they're not kind to someone that they feel like is, is less than them, then they're not a kind person. Not someone who really this way. That's what we see here. If you are not kind, if you're only only kind when you think you get something to gain, then you're not really kind. If you're only compassionate when you think you see Jesus, then you're not really compassionate. So unpacking this, this text a little bit, we see that the, the scope is a little bit broader. The, the previous sections were a little more individual. This verse 32 says, all the nations will be gathered before him. But being evaluated, the, the metaphor of, of separating sheep and goats that would have been familiar to, to Jesus' audience, you know, sheep with, with a wool, you can handle the cold better than goats, and so in cold nights the sheep need to be separated from the, the goats. But what separates the nations here is how they show compassion. This list here of um, I was hungry and gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and gave me something to drink, I was a stranger and took me in, I was naked and clothed me, I was sick and cared for me, I was in prison and visited me. That list, in part, it's it's repeated four times a year. So clearly it's it's important. You guys that were here for um, which I preached the Good Samaritan and said, Great preachers repeat themselves. Great teachers repeat themselves. Great teachers repeat themselves. <laughs> so Jesus repeating this list four times, we know that that it matters. So this is basic discipleship for us. Looks like feeding the hungry, getting drink through the thirsty. Those that, that did this were welcomed into the kingdom. And it's not it's not because they did it, but they show their faith by their works. So James chapter two talks this, the same kind of thing here, starting in verse fourteen. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Did such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 
So the sheep here, the, the faithful disciples, they don't earn the inheritance by working, but the living faith that shows compassion is always working. It always leads to these good works. We see that, that both groups here, the, the sheep and the goats, righteous and the unrighteous, they're both surprised when Jesus said, you did this for me, or you didn't do this for me. They're both taken aback. When did we see you hungry at first? So we see that the motivation is, is not salvation. They weren't serving to get favor with God, but because they realized that God has had favor on them. One quick note on um, where it says the brothers and sisters, verse uh, 40. Um, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, did for me. So, as Christians, we are called in a particular way to, to bear one another's burdens, to, to care for, for those in the, in the kingdom, those in the church. But obviously, Jesus is he's compassionate to. All, all of them. And so, obviously, we usually flippantly ignore those that, that aren't part of the church. So, this section, you know, it's kind of summing up previous sections, kind of putting the rubber to the road. Right? If we live with expectation that Jesus is coming back at any time, we're prepared, we're participating in his mission, then our lives are going to be defined by passion. They're going to be defined by integrity and confession. So, morality matters. Who we are, when we think no one's watching, that, that reveals who we really are. So, if we're willing to let our morals slide for small things, then eventually we'll let them slide for big things. I think of uh, Robbie Zacharias, came out after his death that he was abusive and um, just had all kinds of moral failing. But what people didn't know before his death was that he was kind of deceitful about his credentials. You know, he would kind of brag that he um, was able to lecture at Cambridge. But what really happened was he lectured at a little school that was in the town of Cambridge. And so he kind of puffed himself up, deceitfully making himself look better. And that kind of Slippery slope morals leads to the bigger stuff that came out later. Paul says in Galatians, a little leaven leavens the whole bunch. So if we let a little sin come in, a little bit of moral slide, we're willing to let that happen. That can really destroy our lives. So just on the on the flip side, if we care for the least of these, it's like we're caring for Jesus. We're faithful in small things. We're faithful in, we'll be trustworthy over many things. <clears throat> so thinking about how to apply this, let's just kind of talk through this list. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, care for the sick, take in a prisoner, take in a stranger. So feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, how many of us have complained about leftovers? Ah, leftovers again. Instead, we should we should realize that how blessed we are that we have so much food that we have food left over. 
so many people that we've been secure. Right? Just be thankful that God has provided so much for us. Giving drink to the thirsty, simple way to do that. But if you if you leave work or leave your house for work, you take a cooler of ice water or water bottles and get a cold water bottle to somebody on the street, homeless person or something. Take in the stranger. There's lots of ways to do this. Foster care. It's hard to get exact stats for foster care, but we read an article recently that said there was 93 foster families in Wake County, county of over a million people. You can go through the licensing program and you can be 1% of the foster families in Wake County. Caring for the refugees, taking in the stranger doesn't necessarily mean they live in your house, but you can help refugees get plugged into community, take them to appointments that they need. There's agencies that can help do that. Caring for women, couples dealing with crisis pregnancies. I was convicted of this this past week because um, you're not going to say all day that I'll do what it takes to, to keep a baby from being aborted. But there's not really anybody in my life that's going to come to me with a crisis pregnancy. I'm not really going to have an opportunity to do that. But we can, yeah, we can reach out to agencies like Karen like that, that Chad mentioned. Clothing the naked. Nakedness here is kind of equivalent to, to poverty. And the clothing was, was harder to, to come by in those days. Basic need, but more expensive than the, it is now. So basic way to, to care for the poor is, is just to know them. Get to know some, some poor people. A big, a big way to um, is to provide opportunity, not just handouts, but I mean, I think of me and several others that I know that we got our jobs because we knew somebody that, had the, that worked in the company first. And so if we know a poor person that doesn't have the same opportunities but has good work, work ethic and we have opportunities to help network for them, it's a huge thing to make a big difference in their life. Caring for the sick, all kinds of ways to do this. Take meals, drive to appointments. You can call the insurance company for them, sit on hold for two hours, trying to help them figure out their health care costs. Visiting the prisoner, wanted to, to take a second and, and talk about the, um, the racism that's inherent, inherent in the prisoner. There's a book called The, the New Jim Crow that's helpful for us understanding the way that the system has, has been designed. I'm going to read a paragraph and I want you to kind of imagine uh, like a control line and then a line that kind of goes away from that. <clears throat> this paragraph had 15 footnotes in it referencing the studies. So it's, it's highly backed up. Black and Hispanic people are stopped by the police more frequently, including traffic stops, they're more likely to be arrested. Once stopped, police are more likely to use force against, shoot, and kill black citizens. And then once in jail, black defendants are more likely to be denied bail, which in turn makes conviction more likely. 
When convicted, sentencing is also biased against black defendants, with black defendants more likely to be incarcerated. So we can, you know, we can a lot of times we tend to, to blame the prisoner like if they didn't break the law, they wouldn't have been in jail. But we need to realize that that's not compassionate. Our God has called us to, to be compassionate. Something to, to keep in mind for us for all of these, caring for the vulnerable, showing compassion, is for us to, to be wise and smart about politics and the policies that, that can have big effects. There's this term called, called NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, not in my backyard, <clears throat> where you can say that you want you want you know four children have opportunity to go to any school, but then you vote against your your school board allowing you know scholarships or, or something like that. But give them opportunity to come to your school where your kids will maybe the school scores will go down a little bit and your kids won't look as good in their college applications or something like that. Where when the rubber meets the road, you, you vote against something because you don't want it to affect you. It's not what God has called us to do. It's called us to, to be wise and to be compassionate, even when it costs us. The ultimate thing that is driving our compassion is that each of these people, from the preborn to the poor to the refugee to the sick to the prisoner, they're all people that are created in the image of God. They're all people with inherent value. Each one of them is someone that God has designed, someone that God intimately knows. They're our neighbors, and we're called to love them as we love ourselves. And then one final word for us is, is we can't, can't outsource this. Right? God has, has given us specific gifts that we are called to use, but we are all called to care for these things. What can we do? So the kingdom-minded disciple is characterized by expectation that Jesus will come back, preparation that allows them to faithfully serve the rest of their lives, participation in part of God's mission, and ultimately compassion, caring for the So the question for, for you is, are you ready? For Jesus to come back. Are you a kingdom-minded disciple? If he comes back tonight, would you be ready? Would you be doing your job, loving God, loving your neighbor, serving the right master? What if he doesn't come back for 50, 100, 500 years? Are you living your life in such a way that you can faithfully follow him for the rest of your life? Are you participating in his mission? <clears throat> if he comes back, will you be able to say, Master, look, you've entrusted me with this. Look what I've done here. Well done, good faithful servant. Are you showing compassion to the least of these? When you're surprised at the Lord saying, You did this for me, or you didn't do this for me, will it be because you made a habit of compassion, or because you're living your life selfishly? One thing I want us to close out, I want to share a quote from my, um, <clears throat> a podcast that I was listening to. It's, it's a parenting podcast. Um, 
It's called Honor Kids on Track. It's a, you know, it reminds us that, that we can participate in God's mission in a unique way. He's entrusted us with something unique. So I want us to, to think about that as we evaluate whether we are ready for Jesus to come back. Here's his book. You are the only you this world will ever know. And there's something about you that can make something about God known in a way that no one else can.